0: Today, we're going to be talking about Discipline with Dignity. This is the third in the kind of foundational episodes for the 3D Parent. The first one was episode two, where I talked about the basic overview of the 3D Parent approach and how part of that is learning how to decode problem behaviors or any behaviors really in your child to kind of get to the underlying cause of them. The next episode that was foundational was episode three, where the focus was on deep connection and that parent-child attachment. And the third is this episode, episode four, Discipline with Dignity. So what do I mean by this? What are we talking about here with discipline? Well, as you're no doubt aware, there's a lot of different thoughts and advice out there when it comes to discipline in our kids. And that is part of what makes us feel lost. It's the question of, what do I do when my kid acts this way? How do I handle these situations? What to do in the moment and resorting to discipline techniques that we sometimes swore we would never use. This is a lot of times when we get trapped in that kind of reward and punishment and threatening consequences. And, you know, if you do this, I'll give you this. Or if you don't stop doing this, I'm going to take away this privilege or that kind of trap we get into. So when you get to the root of what discipline is and you go back to the roots, like the Latin roots, disciplina, which is the Latin, that means instruction or knowledge. You could also look at the Latin word disciplus, which means a learner, follower, believer, devotee. That's where discipline comes from, the actual word itself. So we've kind of associate discipline with punishment and kind of control and coercion, when really it was really about fostering the sense of a child following, of believing, and kind of learning from us naturally. And that's where I kind of want to take us back to, that kind of initial, kind of what the meaning was behind the word discipline. So because we've kind of been looking at a different sense of what discipline is, we've also started to take on a new kind of thought process in terms of discipline. It's about training people to follow a certain set of standards of behavior via methods of rewards and consequences. So that's kind of where we've come. But like I said, I want to bring us back to kind of the root of what discipline really is. And the purpose is really to establish order and help our children reach their potential. It's actually pretty simple and very positive. It's not negative the way we've kind of associated the word discipline. So your most powerful tool in discipline is your connection, your attachment with your child. That's what I discussed at length in episode three, the deep connection. That is really the most powerful tool you need. If that is working for you, then discipline and kind of getting your child to kind of grow and flourish and reach their potential is going to come fairly naturally. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it comes more naturally. So I've already referred to Pam Leo and her book, Connection Parenting, which has been really influential for me as a parent and a parent coach. And she says the following quote, the level of cooperation parents get from their children is usually equal to the level of connection children feel with their parents. So if you think about that, if your child is not cooperating, if they're pushing your buttons, if they're giving you a hard no or being defiant, that's actually communication. That's actually then letting you know, you know what? I'm not feeling this connection right now. Now, you might have a great relationship, a great, very strong attachment with your child. But in that given moment, your child is not feeling that sense of connection. So that kind of gives you an idea of, okay, I can now force my child to do what I say by these kind of outside means of coercion or I could take this as a wake-up call and say, okay, my child is not feeling very attached, very connected right now. I need to work on that if I want them to naturally want to follow and obey. So keep in mind, like we talked about in the last segment, attachment is so vital to a child being able to grow and flourish. It is every child's greatest need above all else. So if attachment is the greatest need, Separation is the greatest enemy of it. So any discipline techniques that you may be tapping into that can harm or erode that attachment might be causing more difficulty in your ability to lead your child and get them to willingly follow. You basically are forcing yourself to have to go to outside methods, these coercion methods to try and get your child to follow you because your relationship, your attachment is not strong enough in that moment to get your child to want to do so willingly. So I'm going to go into now a little bit more deeper, kind of dive into some of these common methods of discipline that we see a lot in modern day mainstream parenting culture and talk a bit about the problems with them. So the first I want to talk about is fear-based methods. So these methods are meant to cause a child to feel alarm. These look like yelling, spanking, any form of physical punishment, threats, public shaming in the use of other adults to kind of scare a child, like your wait till dad comes home, you're going to get it. Or even like authority figures, like the principal, the police, teachers, oh, I'm going to tell that your teacher that you did that or said that, threatening your child with this kind of authority figure, or saying something like, okay, if you don't put on your seatbelt, or you don't put on, get you into your car seat, well, the police might pull us over and might take you away from me. So this kind of fear Based method of trying getting a child to do what you want them to do. So why is trying to scare kids straight a problem? Well, part of the problem is that when you kind of take advantage of a child's natural alarm system, which we all need because it helps us kind of take caution when it's necessary. When we take advantage of that alarm system, try and get our child to cooperate or do what we want them to do, then they kind of start to ignore it. So should we ever yell at our child? Absolutely. If your child is about to run into the street without looking and could potentially get hit by a car, that's when you yell. When your child is about to grab something that just came out of the oven and they might burn themselves, stop. Don't grab that. You're going to burn your hand. You're trying to kind of shock them and to kind of tap into that sense of alarm so they say, oh, wait, take caution, stop. If you're yelling at them all the time to try and get them to do what you want to do, they start to kind of like not hear that anymore. And so you have to yell louder, you have to be scarier, and it makes them not listen when you actually need them to stop and notice when you've kind of raised your voice, or when you grab their arm before they kind of stepped in the way of a, of traffic. So the alarm system that we need to have to move us to find caution, we can't let that get offline. We, that will put kids at risk. They won't tap into those feelings of alarm when they really need it. Also, these methods, they don't protect our child's dignity. They're not respectful. They're disrespectful. And when we treat our children with disrespect, what are we going to get? Disrespect back from them. So we can't be modeling it. Okay. Other methods that are problematic, separation-based methods. So these are methods that use your relationship with your child as something that is kind of like a bargaining chip. These are things like timeouts, social isolation, threatening to leave your child at, at home or to leave your child at the park when you're kind of like, you're trying to leave the park. Okay. I'm going to leave without you. I'm going to basically threaten. I'm going to, I'm going to abandon you or Sometimes it's emotional isolation, like giving your child a silent treatment, shunning them, pretending that you don't see them when they're throwing a tantrum or having a hard time. You kind of pretend like they're not there. You're basically kind of feigning that you don't see them. That also feels like separation to your child. So timeouts, timeouts have been widely promoted. As I shared in my intro episode, I was the timeout queen. I used these all the times when my firstborn children were very young because it was kind of like the popular thing to do at the time. It's what pediatricians, were widely promoting, still widely promote. And it has been very popular for about the last 15, 20 years, and there's a reason for that. This was put out there into kind of mainstream parenting as a primary alternative to spanking. This was an attempt to cut down on child abuse. So it had really, really good valuable roots. As we know, if you're really stirred up and you're emotional and you're angry as a parent and you're going to go spank your child, it's really easy for adults to lose control and turn what might have been kind of a form of discipline into a form of child abuse. So when an attempt to kind of move away from child abuse and trying to get parents to have another option other than spanking and hitting and smacking their kids, they created this other method, the timeout. However, we didn't really look at what the problems might come from these forms of alternatives, the timeout. So why is this so damaging, these types of separation-based methods? They're using the child's greatest need, which again, is their need for attachment and connection with their primary caregivers. It's using that greatest need against the child. And it's playing into their greatest fear of all, which is separation. So when we send a message to our children that our relationship is conditional, which is another problem of the timeout, when we say like, you can be with me when you behave these ways, but when you act this particular way... You're banished to your room. You cannot be in my presence. In fact, you cannot be in relationship with me. You're sending a message that actually your love, your relationship is conditional. And we don't want kids to be feeling that we have a relationship that is conditional. They should feel unconditionally loved and supported, even when they're having a hard time, even when they're at their worst. The other problem here is it sends a message to our kids that they're too much for us to handle. And we don't want kids to believe that they're too much for us, that we can't handle them, that they're overwhelming for us. So we need them out of our sight. We don't want kids to believe that. That causes a whole lot of other problems. And we can get into that deeper at another time. But I want to move on to another common form of discipline that I've already talked about quite a bit. So that's kind of the consequent-based method. I discussed this pretty much at length in episode two when I was talking about going to move towards decoding behaviors versus trying to control and coerce behaviors out of kids. So the consequence-based methods, these look like rewards, sticker charts for good behavior, earning praise, or on the contrary, punishments and consequences for misbehavior, taking away of toys, taking away screen time, taking away privileges and activities. These kind of quick-fix methods Are very common in today's society and have been used so for years ever since those famous rat experiments that were done by B.F. Skinner. They're still used widely in schools and homes and it's how a lot of us were kind of raised. So it's what we're used to and it's because of that kind of what we fall back to really naturally and easily. So this is a problem because it really shines a spotlight on us as parents when we do not have power over our kids. When we have to find something that actually does have power, we can't motivate them to kind of follow our lead by the strength of our own attachment and relationship. So we have to find something that does have power over them, like a toy, like a screen, and we hold that over them. And it takes advantage of the kind of attachments that they may have to these other things. So when kids kind of have the things that they care about used against them in this way, what happens? Well, eventually it teaches them not to care about things. It becomes too vulnerable to care. So you'll start to hear things like, you know, okay, you don't get to play with that toy anymore, or you don't have to to have a play date today. And your kid will say, well, I don't care. And we might think that's their way of kind of like pushing our buttons or pretending or manipulating us, but really they do learn to not care. It's too painful, it's too vulnerable. So they kind of numb themselves from caring feelings. And that can give way to so many problems down the road, including things like bullying, believe it or not. And it also causes them to not care about their belongings. So they start not taking care of their belongings because phew, I don't care. It's going to be taken away from me anyway by some threat or some consequence. So we don't want to be using these types of consequences to try and control our children for those reasons. And the other problem is it's limited. And eventually when our kids don't care about these rewards or punishments, we have to up the ante. We have to make the rewards bigger and more exciting. It's not enough to give your kid a sticker anymore. Now it has to be better and bigger to try and get them to do what we want to do, or it makes us have to give worse and worse punishments. I've heard stories of parents who you know, started off with like, okay, I'm going to take away a toy to get to the point where they were so frustrated. They took away every single belonging their child had and left them with an empty room to teach them a lesson In the moment, did it kind of get their child to be shocked into submission? Perhaps, but at what cost is my question. How did that kind of strategy take advantage of a child's caring, take advantage of a child's trust, and really show the child how far we had to go to get them to change problem behaviors? Other problematic discipline methods, positive discipline methods. So I want to say here that there is so much I like about positive discipline. This method to kind of empower kids to make choices, so many positive aspects. In particular, focusing on moving away from these kind of fear-based and consequence-based methods of the past with a lot of focus on emotion coaching and making space for kids to have their full range of emotions. So, So much good is in positive discipline techniques. So many overlaps from the 3D parent approach with positive discipline. But here's the little... Problem that I have with this type of discipline method. It has to do with giving children so many choices. You can have this or you can have this. You can choose between this and this. That it kind of starts encouraging kids to always expect a choice. They never just have to do what kind of is the next thing to do. That the parent says, okay, now we're going to do this. Well, no, I need a choice. Or it makes kids want to negotiate everything everything has to mean a negotiation well i don't want to do it this way well maybe i'll do it this way or if you give me this i'll do it so we've trained our kids basically to be these master negotiators these tiny litigators we're not raising little lawyers <laughs> we're raising children here so we don't want to get them in the mindset that oh okay i'm going to reason my way to get what i want i'm going to negotiate to get what i want so this kind of ends up blurring the lines in terms of really who is in control who's in the driver's seat? It becomes very democratic, very egalitarian. It puts kids and their adult leaders, their parents, their teachers, their caregivers on the same plane, and that's not appropriate. Children need to be in the following position, and we need to be the strong leaders kind of guiding the way. We don't want to put too much power in their hands, or it gets confusing for them, and we end up in these constant cycles of negotiation and reasoning and answering their kind of questions. Not to say that there's not a time and place for some questions and choices, but when we do it so much, it gets confusing for kids. This is also a big contributor for what developmental psychologist, Dr. Gordon Neufeld, who I've referred to in my last few podcasts as well, he wrote, hold on to your kids. He calls kids who become these kind of master negotiators who always want to be in charge, always are trying to fight to be in the lead position. He's coined them alpha kids. These children are notoriously difficult to discipline because they're always trying to be in the lead position. They always need to negotiate. They always need to know why. They always have to have a reason. So be aware of these styles of discipline that cause problems. So why are these discipline methods so common in modern parenting? Well, as I said, they appear to work, but again, only in the short run and often at the expense of your parent-child connection and attachment. Also, they're very commonly done to us. They were done to us as children. We are kind of really kind of wired to kind of parent this way. They're still done often in our schools. Like I said, it's what our peers are doing. It's kind of very common mainstream parenting. So we kind of all go there because we think this is what you're supposed to do. So rather than tapping into our internal instinct, we're kind of following the herd a little bit here. And many of us have found ourselves kind of stuck using these methods and not finding the kind of changes that we want to see in our children and feeling like, okay, this isn't working. I need to know there's something else. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is to make a major paradigm shift in the way you see your child when they're acting out, when we see a misbehaving child. I want you to look at this child very differently than you did before. Stop looking at this child as manipulating, as trying to push your buttons. Instead, see them as frustrated, struggling, hurting, because that's what they are. What you're seeing from your child is how they're feeling inside. So we need to meet the underlying needs, like I've talked about in past episodes. So what are the alternatives? If I've taken away all these other methods, I've said, don't do these, what are we left with? I like to call this discipline with dignity, the alternatives. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to make all of your discipline choices within the context of connection, of attachment you're not going to do anything that could potentially damage your relationship with your child. That is very important. If you do ever act out in a way that damages your relationship, if you do end up kind of going back to kind of these old methods or doing something you swore you wouldn't do anymore, like yelling at your child, threatening to abandon them. When you start kind of trying to coerce the behaviors with threats and punishments, go back and repair, take responsibility for maybe any missteps that you made, and then move on with different methods, the ones that we're discussing now. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. First and foremost, actively work on your attachment with your child. Refer back to episode 3, and brainstorm ways that you might connect with your child in every attachment level. Another thing you can do to actively work on your attachment, on your connection with your child, is create special time. So that's a minimum of about 15 minutes a day per child. You can do more for sure, but a minimum of about 15 minute window every day where you're going to focus on one-on-one, distraction-free interaction, play, connection with each of your children. This might feel like, oh gosh, one more thing to do. But if you think about this in terms of more time spent positively connecting with your child will cut down on times having to deal with negative behaviors, acting out behaviors, this is going to pay off in the long run. You're going to have less problematic behaviors because you're putting this time up front into connecting with your child. Instead of giving these timeouts, the ones I'm kind of saying, take those off the table, it's okay to have a time in. That's where you actually stay with your child. So your child may need to be separated, maybe from a sibling, maybe from a situation that is too overwhelming or they're having a hard time with. It's fine to separate your child from those situations, from that sibling, that other child they're struggling with, but you stay with them. You don't banish them or isolate them. You stay with them and you be present to them when they're having their meltdowns, when they're having their hard time. You stay empathetic. You stay present. Again refer back to past episodes, episode two, where we talked about decoding problem behaviors and trying to discover the underlying unmet need so that you can kind of address those. That is another part of this alternative method of discipline. If you find it really hard to decode behaviors and get to the root of them, you're not alone. There are other people who've struggled with this as well. If it's taking you a little while to kind of get that instinct and look at your child with this curiosity that we talked about in episode two, there's a book I wanna suggest for you, a great resource. It's called Discipline Without Distress by Judy Arnold. And she has this great um, book. There's all a wealth of information within this book, but if you turn to the very back of it, there's an index called Discipline Tool Summary for Common Behaviors, where she actually goes at different kind of ages and stages. She'll talk about a common problem behavior and what the child might be feeling, kind of what might the underlying feeling be, Be that's driving that behavior. And then she also gives you some detailed explanations for what might be going on and suggests some relationship safe tools to kind of address those. So that book might be a help for you. If you find that decoding problem behaviors is just not coming along the way you wished it were, check out that book. It might be a help to you, a great resource. Another thing you need to do being disciplining with dignity is not about kind of letting your child walk all over you. Quite the contrary, it is so important to set boundaries. But at the same time, you want to stay warm and supportive. So again, we're not yelling and screaming at our child and forcing them into submission, but we're also setting firm boundaries in a way that's kind and gentle. Um, Dr. Newfeld, again, he refers to being the agent of futility and the angel of comfort. What is that? It sounds like the name of a rock band. I actually had a parent I worked with as in my parent coach practice who said, it sounds like the name of a band, the agent of futility and angel of comfort. It's not. It's a really powerful way of thinking about how you set boundaries with your child in a way that is kind and supportive. So when you've set a boundary, when you've given that no, no, sorry, it's too close to dinner time. You cannot have a snack right now. And your child has a huge explosion of emotions. You let them, you make space for that. You stay empathetic. Your child, oh, please, please, can I have a snack? I'm so hungry. Nope, dinner's gonna be in 30 minutes. We're not gonna have a snack now. They melt down. They throw a tantrum. They want you to change your mind. You're not gonna change your mind. You're staying firm. Nope, I hear you. You really wanna have a snack? I'm saying no. And then as they're having that kind of big expression of emotion, you're not banishing them. You're not giving them a timeout. You're not shaming them. You're not saying, this is nothing to get upset about. You're not judging them. You're not trying to teach them a lesson. Well, I guess you should get us next time. Nope, you're staying judgment-free and you're not issuing consequences. You're just kind of letting them have their expression of emotion. And then when they kind of go from that angry expression to kind of melting down into tears and sadness, you come in there and you support them. That's being the angel of comfort there to give them a hug. You're there to try and get that sadness out. This is going to help your child learn to adapt to hearing no. It's going to help your child become more resilient When they have to hear a no, when they're facing something that can't change, when you're facing that futility, as uh, Neufeld says, you're not going to give in and fix the problem. You're not going to go ahead and say, okay, fine. You'd have a little snack. You're going to stay firm, but also empathetic, keeping your voice warm, staying very calm. This takes practice. And I understand that if you're in kind of the habit of not letting your child have this big expression of emotion, it's going to be kind of loud when you're permitting this and you're not banishing it. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Do not be surprised by this. Do not let that think, oh, this isn't working and give up. I've had clients do that. They've tried this once or twice. Up, oh, doesn't work. My child threw a tantrum, went on for 20, 30 minutes. You know what? I've had my child throw a tantrum that goes on upwards of an hour. It takes a lot a lot of maturity on our parts as parents to see this through. But understand that the next time your child is facing the same or similar limit that you're setting for them, they're not going to have to throw as big and long of a tantrum. They might do it a little bit. They might need to let out some other frustrations they're carrying out with along with them that kind of this boundary, this limit, this futility is kind of letting out. But the more you get in the practice of this, the more your child's going to learn to Be adaptive and face futilities without having to throw such huge tantrums every time. But you have to be consistent. You can't sometimes give in and sometimes not give in. Sometimes issue a consequence for throwing a tantrum and sometimes not. You've got to stay consistent in this approach if it's going to end up working. And it will because this is going to help your child grow and mature. It's also really important to know that sometimes your child really doesn't want to face or hear that no. That feels too vulnerable to feel sad and have to kind of grieve that loss. And sometimes your child might spin out of control and become aggressive. The goal here now is to get your child not to become aggressive and to have them, instead of getting stuck in that aggression, to help them face that no, face that vulnerable feeling of not getting your way, of hearing a no, of the sadness that accompanies that, that they're trying to escape. If they're full of kind of attack and angry, aggressive energy, give them an outlet. Provide them with something they can punch, like a pillow or the couch or their bed. Give them some paper to shred up and rip or balls they can throw, a punching bag they can hit. Give them something to let out that energy. I'm going to go a lot more into aggression at much more depth in an upcoming episode. So this is kind of just touching on this kind of common problem that sometimes can arise when a child is facing some big feelings. But just know that that can happen sometimes and your child really doesn't want to face that futility, doesn't want to face that frustration that they're feeling or what underlies that, that sadness, that grief. If your child does need some type of a redirection, do so privately, not in front of an audience, not in front of peers or siblings. This really protects their dignity. This is respectful. And they'll be more open to listening to what you have to say. Control what you can control. Remember, you're not gonna try and control your child's behaviors. We've already accepted the fact that you can't really do that unless you're having to coerce them with threats and punishments and rewards and briberies. So instead, control what you can control. And that might be their environment. That might be something that they're playing with. That might be who they're playing with. That's the thing you can control. You go ahead and step in there. That's where you can lay down some type of a boundary or give a no or say, this isn't working right now. Resist an urge to blame Or shame or threaten or give warnings. If you do that one more time, I'm going to, or teach a lesson, simply state, this isn't working. We're gonna do something else right now. Or you know what? That toy right now is not being played with appropriately, we're gonna put it away right now. Or you guys are fighting right now with this thing, so I'm gonna take it out of play. We're not gonna play with that right now. Or you know what's not working to stay right now in the park or in this playroom, we're gonna leave now. You basically take control of the things you can control. Now, Might that set off a tantrum, an expression of big emotion? Sure, but that doesn't mean that we tiptoe around it. That doesn't mean we walk on eggshells and stop kind of those emotions from coming. They might need to come out. They might need to have a meltdown. That might be okay because on the other side of that meltdown will very likely be a calmer, more adaptive child. So they might need to blow off some steam, but on the other side, there'll be a reward for that. You also want to be thinking ahead. And I call this proactive discipline. One of my favorite techniques, uh, the positive discipline people, they call it connect before you direct. Gordon Neufeld calls it collect before you direct. So what is this? So when Gordon says collect, he's talking about collecting these three specific things, eyes, eye contact, a smile or some expression in their face that they're kind of understanding. We're in the same world. You've entered the same wavelength and often a nod. Kind of when you're agreeing with someone and you're relating what they have to say, you kind of make eye contact, you smile, you might you might nod to say, oh yeah, I hear what you're saying. You want that from your children. The connect with your direct, we're talking about the same things. Both of these phrases are cute and they rhyme. We're basically saying you want your child to be in connection with you. You want to turn on that attachment energy. So again, they instinctively want to follow. You want to get out of the habit of parenting cold, making commands and demands of your children. You don't want to be sitting there saying, come on, put on your coat, put on your shoes. When you've been separating from your child and you've been upstairs and they're downstairs and you start kind of barking orders, I call that parenting cold. We want to get out of the habit of doing that. Instead, take a minute to connect with their child, enter their world before you give some type of a direction. So if you have a few minutes, the ideal approach to connect with your child before giving them a direction is to kind of come into the space they are and get on the same level, make eye contact. You might kind of um, connect with them physically, put your hand on their shoulder, their back, give them a little hug or a squeeze or a kiss, interact with them, take a note of what they might be doing right then. Oh, that looks really cool. Oh, you're building a Lego? Oh, are you going to put another brick on that? Are you, are you trying to build a really tall tower? Oh, you're you're making a building. That's really cool. You're basically trying to interact with them. Ask them a couple of questions about their, what they're doing. You're looking again for that eye contact and that they're interacting with you. Then you can go ahead and say, "All right, let's go ahead and we're going to, you know, put on two more bricks there and then we're going to go ahead and put on our shoes and our coat and we can come back and play with us later." Another alternative for doing this connect before you direct is If you're really pressed for time or if you feel like it's more your natural style, connect through play. So in this case, you don't have to necessarily enter your child's world and interact with them and see what they're doing. You make a game out of it. Okay, let's make a race. Let's see who can get their shoes and coats on faster. This might be tough if you have kids, uh multiple kids and they want to get really competitive in which case you might want to set a goal for everybody. I'm going to set a timer for 3 minutes. Do you think we can beat the clock? Can we get our shoes and our coats and our backpacks on before the timer goes off? Go. Or play a song. Can we get this playroom cleaned up before the song ends? Let's try. Let's do it. Let's put these things away. Let's see if we can beat the song and get this done beforehand. Or, you know, grab your child in a playful hold and throw them on your back and pretend that you are a horse and you're going to gallop up the stairs to move towards bedtime. Find ways that you can connect quickly through play and playfulness. That's another great way to kind of connect before you direct. I know that sounds like a lot of work and takes a lot of effort. The younger your child is, or the more you feel like your attachment isn't easy to kind of turn on immediately, the more methods like this are really, really helpful. I've had some parents say like, oh gosh, I'm doing it and it really works, but oh my gosh, it takes a lot of work. And at the end of the day, trying to think about constantly connecting before giving a direction gets exhausting. It is exhausting, but know that this is a way that you're interacting with your child in a way that's positive and full of connection versus having to discipline, coerce, Give threats and punishments, and it's much more positive, so it might feel like a love effort, but it's a lot better than dealing with the alternative methods. Another proactive discipline technique that is uh, very much in line with discipline with dignity, like I've been talking about uh stop asking so many questions and negotiating with your child again, It's confusing to your child; it makes them feel like, okay, who's calling the shots here? who's in charge? Your child may mistakenly think that they're in the lead instead just kind of provide for, say, oh, here's what we're doing next. I've got this great thing planned today. I can't wait to show you what we're going to be doing today versus what do you want to do? Go to the park or the museum. You're just saying, I've got great things planned. Here we go. So try and find times when you don't need to ask questions. What do you want for dinner? Do you want this, this, or this? Then you're going to fall into the trap of negotiating. And if you start giving your child choices, all the time, what you're going to find is your child's going to start saying, well, I don't like those two choices. I want another choice. And again, you get trapped by your child. So just stop doing that so often. Is it okay to sometimes give options or choices? Sure. But don't do it nearly as much as you probably currently are. It's just not necessary. And again, it confuses your child. Again, you want to be very proactive versus reactionary in meeting your child's needs. So you want to meet needs before they're asking for it. You want to stay very present and intentional with your parenting versus parenting on demand. Meaning, if you're getting there first and you're connecting with your child versus waiting for your child to say, mommy, give me some attention. Dad, I want to play with you. Can you do this with me? And they're just always asking for your attention. If you go in there first and you say, hey, let's spend some time together. Let's connect right now. Let's spend some time doing something fun together. If you're getting in there first and being proactive and connecting with your child, they won't always be so hungry and they won't feel like they have to work for their attachment needs, their connection from you. If you identify areas where you're commonly having conflict There's a place to create some type of a routine, a rule, some type of a structure, so you're not always having to police your kids or put demands on them. So this might be something like screens, how much screen time you're allowing, when they can watch TV. It might have to do with snacks. When do we have snack time? When is snack time over? It might be a good time to put in some type of a rule or structure around chores, When do chores happen? What kind of chores happen? That's a great thing to kind of set up a structure or a rule so that that starts to kind of govern themselves. I'll give you an example. In my own home, snacking was an area where we had a lot of conflict. My kids always wanted to snack and they would snack and snack and snack all afternoon long. And then guess what? Dinner time came and they weren't hungry. So I found that I needed to create a structure, a routine around that. And I just said one day, okay, kids, guess what? We've got a new routine and a new structure. Snacks can happen up until four o'clock. After four o'clock, there's no snacking until dinner time. So what happened was, the kids, they had an after-school snack, but they're really hungry after school. And sometimes an hour or two later, they're still hungry. But once I knew that that was that cutoff, that four o'clock cutoff, they really listened to that. And I didn't have to really do much of anything. They'd look at the clock, it'd be 3.55 and they'd be like, oh my gosh, I got to go get my snack right now. And they would quickly go to the snack drawer and they'd help themselves that last little snack before it turned four o'clock. Now the reality was, was anything going to really happen at four o'clock? No. But this routine, this structure, this rule that we had in place around the four o'clock cut up for snacks kind of helped cut down on there being conflict around there. They kind of listened to that and started governing those choices around snack time. If here's another proactive discipline technique, if you're going to be putting your child, if they're going to go into a situation, you know, they may not have the maturity for something like you're going to go to a nice restaurant not like one of the restaurants where there's a kid play area, a nice restaurant. You're going to go to their grandmother's house where you know that there's going to be a lot of toys around, things they can't touch because they could, be, they could break. Um, maybe there's family members who are not around young children often and they're not as tolerant of noise or loud play. What you want to do in this situation is to prepare your child ahead of time. You want to kind of give them the cues to follow so you can kind of let them know what to expect so that they kind of know you've laid out the ground rules from ahead of time versus crossing your fingers and hoping there won't be any problem behaviors. you let them know ahead of time what will work and what won't work in those situations. And then just stay positive and let them know if you're having a hard time, here's what we're going to do. And it's not a threat. It's just like, here's what we're going to do. If we have a hard time, we'll go ahead and we'll find a space where we can kind of redirect or um, problem solve what's going on in that moment. So in conclusion, discipline with dignity. Think of the discipline again as a word that is Meant to be about leadership. It requires us as parents to take responsibility for our children and be able to identify what's not working so that we can address it. We need to again look at behaviors as the tip of the iceberg, that communication that's letting us know what might be going on below the surface so that we can address the underlying problems for our children and the root causes of them. And again, you want to resist the temptation for going to the quick fix methods of controlling your children and disciplining in those methods that I've discussed that are problematic. Discipline with dignity is above all else, respectful discipline. You're going to be confidently meeting your child's need when you discipline with dignity so you can help them grow and flourish without damaging your connection, your attachment, with your child. And you're going to find that when you discipline with dignity, you have so much more fulfillment as a parent. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media, so take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at The 3D Parent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on The 3D Parent Podcast.